this is Robert Dillon, the host of the Help Me Understand podcast. Thanks for taking some time to be a part of this project. Listening for ideas and inspiration in a world that continues to be filled with noise is at the heart of this podcast. I'm excited to share my journey to understand in deeper ways by listening to the passionate ideas of educators, thinkers, and entrepreneurs. Help Me Understand is a small opportunity to be hopeful and experience the best parts of humanity. Well, good day, good day, and welcome back to the Help Me Understand podcast. Uh, today is part two of a series that I've produced with Color Art Interiors. Uh, Color Art is taking care of the furnishings for schools and districts around the St. Louis area and beyond. Uh, great partners of mine, and it was great to produce uh, these last two episodes with their cooperation. Uh, today's episode features two of my favorite educators. Uh, Will Chamberlain is a teacher in my in my McDonald County. There, I couldn't get it out. McDonald County, Missouri. Um, really great insights about uh, teaching and learning, and what it means to bring students back to school in a rural county uh, during a pandemic. And then Dr. Amy Peach is joining this podcast as well. Uh, she is a professor and works with a number of students at the higher ed level. And so excited to have both of them. Uh, both uh, folks got plenty of opinions and plenty of ideas, and it was fun to kind of banter with them around this topic of what we've learned so far around pandemic learning. So sit back and relax and enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome back, and thanks to uh, our guest for joining us. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about the current state of affairs with uh, COVID and the pandemic and being a parent and being uh, an educator and trying to just figure out how to navigate this situation. So, uh, William, what's the latest in your world? Oh, <laughs> crazy. Um, since we're talking pandemic right now, I uh, got a call, missed call, 2.20 this afternoon in class. Um, did a Google search for the number because that's what you do. And it was the County Health Department, mm -mm. slightly concerning. So I called the County Health Department and they said, do you have a child at the high school? And I said, yes, I do. And they said, well, you need to go pick up your child. They are in quarantine. And um, which is a very interesting. Um, we've had uh, many kids in my building that were out for quarantine as well. but. Um, you don't know what it's like as a parent. You, you see it as a teacher, but not as a parent. Um, and it's a little, it's a little off. Um, I was surprised that the first thing that I heard was from the County Health Department, not my, not my um, friends at the high school, which was rather strange to me. Um, so I called my wife and told her I had to go pick her up so we can make, you know, the after school arrangements and, uh, Told, got the secretary at school to cover my class and then um, got a hold of uh, my daughter at the high school and she didn't even know she was in quarantine and <laughs> even told her. So she was with her friends getting ready for a, a, some drama program that they have tomorrow, which she's no longer part of. Um, so drove up there, grabbed her. After I got her, I had to call back to the health department um, so they could ask questions about how she was physically, um, gave her, gave him the old, no, she's not apparently sick or anything that we can tell. Um, found out she's quarantined for nine more days. And uh, 
it's quite an interesting afternoon. Yeah, I, I caught half of your message. I knew that was your reality, so I just didn't want to leave that hanging out there. But uh, for folks that don't know, uh, you're down in McDonald County, Missouri, which is the most southwestern county in the state of Missouri. So a uh, different perspective there. Um, and then uh, you also had mentioned that maybe, I don't know how many students are in the high school, but you said maybe over 100 are quarantined now. So um, that's what uh, my daughter told me. She said she overheard a couple of teachers talking and um, that they were talking about having 80 or some out today. And she also told me that uh, pretty much all day she's been hearing people being called to the office. So um, we apparently do have the highest um, uh, incidence of COVID per capita in the state right now. Again, uh, we were third or fourth in the nation a few months ago. Um, can't learn our lesson. And uh, so, we're not getting any real information. So it, it's a, it's a matter of the back channel trying to figure out what's going on. Yeah. It's unsettling, right? Like it's that lack of information. We make things up and then you just start thinking about like, do I need to lock my daughter in her room when she's home for the next 10 days? Right. And then maybe you'd like to do that either way, but uh, are you, I mean, people just worried about being sick and not knowing the answer. So Amy, you've got a, a daughter that was at college, but now is back home or still there. And what's, how's no, it impacting home for you? How, yeah. How's she doing? Yeah. Yeah. No, she's still there. She's, um, and they're doing fine. She's seen a couple of friends. She's at Mizzou. My daughter's a freshman this year. And uh, she has seen a couple of friends who are immunocompromised or, you know, something they just weren't real happy with the way that, the cases were being handled at university. And so they opted to go home since a lot of their classes were online, you know, anyway, and they had a window. But for the most part, I mean, it seems like it's a bizarre new normal. Um, there, she doesn't feel quite as isolated as I thought she would be. Um, but she's still, she's still got a chem lab, which she, you know, complains about walking to. So I'm like, okay, that sounds familiar. Like, I remember that, you know, <laughs> I think you walk between, you know, like nine minutes between your sessions and you have to like hike it across. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's, that's good. It's good that she's got something. But yeah, she, no, I mean, they're, they're okay. I just wonder, um, it, it's probably different everywhere, but seeing how some of these kids are being, um, I don't want to say like ostracized or, but the way they're being treated in the press and certainly by the chancellor who I, I just reamed them about those kids that they decided to expel or suspend. Cause I was like, you're the adults here. Like, <laughs> they're children. They're acting like idiots. Yes, of course they are, but you don't have to go to the press about that. You know? So it just, um, it's been frustrating from a parent end to watch because all that does is it makes them not report their symptoms. Uh, their symptoms are very, very mild. And so they're just gonna say, you know, I thought it was a cold, I decided not to get tested and it just will run. So it's, um, she, but it seems to be okay where she lives um, and among people, she, and she's being smart about it. You know, she's not, she went to a party where like everybody was hanging out and nobody had masks on or anything. She was there all of 10 minutes and she's like, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll see you guys later. So she just, She's, in, she's going into healthcare, you know, she's like, we don't know what's going on with this virus. So she's not gonna, you know, even if the symptoms are mild, she's not gonna go that route. So it's, um, so it's, it's weird, but it, you know, everything is. So yeah. <laughs> we're just gonna take it. She's happy, she's healthy. And you and I both know Kevin, um, I don't know if you know, daughter was supposed to go to Kevin Grower. Um, his daughter was supposed to go to school in Canada. 
And it's been a constant, actually, they were supposed to find out today, now that I think about it, from the immigration, because they just don't want Americans coming in, because, you know, we don't care. <laughs> yeah, she couldn't get her visa to go to college. Uh, she had a volleyball scholarship to go play in uh, Nova Scotia, and um, can't get to country uh, to actually attend school. Uh, so I know that, you know, if we're thinking about all the international students that... Um, are around, it's had to have been a real, real difficult time. Either they didn't go home or they couldn't get back or um, they throw up their arms and say, maybe we'll come back next semester. So are the students in your class, Will, uh, being respectful of everything? How's that going for you? Uh, the, the kids are um, basically mirroring their parents. So um, <laughs> um, if we have the highest um, incident rate in the state per capita, then that's bleeding down to how the kids are behaving as well. Um, and I will say, to be fair, after you know, my my family pretty much quarantined the entire summer. We only went out when we needed to. Um, was very careful about any interaction or anything like that. Um, when we found out school was going to be back in, we were going to be back in with students. Um, we, we decided that all that time that we had spent was probably a waste of time because now we were going to be exposed um, to anywhere from 80 to 120 students a day who are uh, not taking it seriously. Um, and, you know, when the chances of uh, them getting sick, sick enough to actually make much of a difference uh, is so low, it's hard to, it's hard to blame them for living in the moment because we've all been there. But uh, it's um, it's funny because um, the longer I'm in class, the less worried I am about it. Um, and, and I don't know whether that's um, because of just being there all the time and I'm feeling a little more comfortable or if it's just I've decided that it's inevitable at this point. Mm. And so I might as well embrace um, the time that I'm in the classroom right now as much as possible um, with the kids because uh, who knows how long that's going to last. Yeah, I know here in uh, St. Louis County, we have more and more teachers returning to the classroom, right? So maybe this kind of first four to six weeks, but we're getting a lot of K-1-2 and then we're starting to ramp back and, you know, I don't know where high schools are going to end up uh, before the end of the semester, but um, I feel like there has to be a period of time that's just uncomfortable to be in a building. Like you said, you're getting more comfortable, but um, I don't think anybody's talking about the anxiety of going back into a school for the first time and how long it takes to start really feeling comfortable in your own skin and in your own space again. Um, I don't know if you've heard anything about that, Amy, or heard anybody talking about like just how uncomfortable it is to return to a school building. Yeah, I mean, I hear, I hear that too. So I, um, and just to kind of fill in, I um, teach teachers basically in graduate school. And, um, I, and since this all started, it's consulting with schools and you know trying to reach out to school because I started teaching online in 2002. So none of this is remotely new to me. So to watch everybody panic, it's terrifying because you know exactly how to put your life jacket on. <laughs> and so you're figure out, you know, how to make sure that everybody else knows how to do it too. Um, I, I do hear, you know, it, it, it almost seems to their level of concern around it really coincides with their worldview in general. <laughs> it's how afraid are you of the outside world? And um, 
and if they're not, you know, terribly afraid of it, it's not, it's not as simple as I'm going to go out and just, you know, not care. Um, but a lot of them are going out, look, I'm going to wash all the time. I'm going to mask up. I'm going to, you know, be careful about it. Um, the doom and gloom teachers that I work with are doom and gloom under the best of circumstances. And that's no different now. Um, the really optimistic, everything's going to be fine. We just have to plan it all out. It's going to be amazing. Exactly how they're responding now. I would have expected at this point, for the um, sort of faster fatigue to set in. It's been six months now and I'm kind of waiting for the everything to kind of pile on, but very much to my surprise, they are sticking with it and they're, they're working as hard as they can. And a lot of the younger teachers that I talked, the teachers of littles, I mean, preschool through, you know, maybe second grade, the teachers that I, I talk to and work with, um, they're, they are, it's not that they're not concerned about the virus, but very concerned about the long-term social and emotional damage that's being done to kids who do not have the opportunity to connect. And that's very real. And they know that, they know the research, you know, around that. They know what happens to the brain, you know, during those ages. And so they're really concerned about both. Yeah, and I, I, I hear that as well. And I, it's, I think it's hard. And I think we're already, we see data now that like doing this virtually well, K-1-2 is really, really hard. Yeah. Uh, I heard a teacher the other day say to me like, well, I can't put the directions up because they can't read them. Uh, I can make a video of it. I can talk about it. But like, that things break down really fast because you know um, where that goes and how that is. Um, uh, Will in your in your world, I mean, you feel like you're fairly comfortable with the technology pieces and being virtual. Do do you wish that you would be you know uh, doing some of what you're doing virtual or how, how, what, where's the right balance there? I guess that's the question. Uh, I don't like virtual myself. Um, I want to be in the room with with the people that I'm um, working with, whether they're, they're my students or other adults. Um, I think to do virtual well, even if you're doing it really well, you're you're only doing it really well for a small percentage of the kids. Um, we need we we need more than um, there's 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 just so much to it. Um, the tools are not very good. Um, we, we use Google Classroom um, for kids that are out and I, it's horrible. Um, it's what you get when you invest heavily in a free platform that is thrown together just so that Google can mine our data. Um, <laughs> yes. But, but the, paid, <laughs> exactly the, paid it. Stuff, <laughs> the paid for stuff isn't great either. None of them are designed by anyone that ever needs to use them for any length of time. Um, so online online tools aren't aren't that great. Um, when you are having to learn something that you don't want to do, the thing that gets you over the top is the people around you, who um, can help you through it, or um, whose enthusiasm you can catch. And none of that's present online. And uh, this is not this is not the kid going to YouTube to learn how to play the guitar, which. Um, is often cited as proof that people can learn online. I mean, I learned to play the ukulele by watching YouTube videos, but that was something that I really wanted to do. Um, I am right now taking some online classes that I am not enjoying and don't want to do 
and um, struggling heavily with that. So it's a, uh, you know, the online pain is real. It's not, it's not the way I would choose to learn. Um, and I'm sure um, just from what I've seen with my students, it's not the way most of them choose to learn either. Yeah. What can we do to make it a little bit better, Amy? You, you kind of have has some data here and you have some ideas here. How, how it's not ideal and no one wants to be there all the time, but what, what parts of it can we make better? No, I, it's, it, it's not what anybody wants. It would, I started teaching uh, in the state of Georgia and this was very, like, we didn't know what the hell this was or, or what was going on or anything. It was a new, you know, exciting thing. And a lot of the pushback that we got from people was predictable. Um, and it was, you can't ever, you know, replace, you know, the face-to-face -face interactions. And I'm like, well, it wasn't ever supposed to be that. It just, I think everybody thinks it's either online is all good or it's all bad. And it's like, it, it's, it's neither of those things. Uh, the students, the reason why we started doing it, honestly, is that our current structure in it, education does not take care of certain groups of students. Every semester, I would have a terminally ill child who could not go to school and the district could send somebody to them for two hours a week. That's insane. So to them, online learning was an absolute lifeline to that one student. I had students every semester who aspired to be athletes, usually baseball. The rest of them could go through but baseball you know, doing this in the South, you start to learn that to, there's a whole circuit, they have to go through the minors and everything. In order to do that, they have to start traveling pretty early. And they, they still wanted to finish. <laughs> they still wanted to have their high school diploma. They still wanted to go to but the system, the schedule, the traditional way of doing it did not fit their needs. So the reason why online learning took off was not because Everybody thought that face-to-face -face teaching was irrelevant. Nobody, no, nobody I ever worked with ever thought that. Um, but the system did not fit these people. And so as we find those gaps, if you, and the, the easiest way to do it is when teachers tell me they either love it or they hate it, like ask your students. And don't ask your students just like it or not. It's what did you like specifically and what did you not like specifically? Because the other thing that I've learned in years and years of is that where online learning really, really works well are, you know, certainly for graduate students who have a million other things going on, but even at younger levels of kids, the introverts love it. Um, the students who can't keep up with the pace of face-to-face -face instruction love it because they can step back and they can, they can practice and they can do things over again. The most startling thing for me the first year that I was teaching, uh, all of it to, uh, talk about their, you know, end of course exams and, you know, how students were doing. And the, all of us were doing like better in general than the state on average, which wasn't a surprise, but, you know, not a ton. The shock was um, math. The math on average running 20% higher than the state average. And in some cases, 40% higher than certain schools. And what they discovered is that math is learned at such different paces for different kids that the kids who were learning it online, if they were struggling, these concepts just build on them. And if you don't keep up, you're left behind. That's it. That's how it works in math. And with math online, they were able to do, they had to put more hours in, but they were able to learn it. And so I think that there are definitely 
you know, there, there are things that my, my favorite is hybrid. I, I love there. I gotten to the point where I know what works really well online and I know where we need to all get together in a room and work on it and, and have one-on-one -on -one interaction, you know, and things like that. And for me as a team, it's just my workload is a lot easier when I use these tools. And I think I, I would agree with you, um, Bill, because the, the Google Classroom is just, it's a content delivery system. It's not a learning management system and it's not designed your teacher easier and um, none of the tools are 100% but they've gone a, a really really long way in making the job a lot easier and me developing very personal interactions with students with incredibly detailed feedback that I can give video audio and kids just can't get that from me when I've got those 130 kids yeah I was a, I was juniors and seniors history econ government I can't connect with individual kids that way without those tools and but it's but these schools have got to their mouth is yeah I, I think i hope that as we get into 2021 or maybe it's next school year that folks do see that different models have served different kids that maybe we didn't know about or have seen and you know you mentioned introverts but you know i'm hearing other things of groups of students where it's about path and pace right like the traditional pace of school isn't working or the path of where i have to be there every day at 7 30 in the morning mm -hmm. i mean here in st louis there's still a school district where kids are at school starting at 7 15 online and they're taking seven courses a day and I'm like, that isn't, that's painful. And someone just basically took an old schedule and squeezed it into a new model. And my hope is that we'll start to look at that a little bit. And I know I'm working with one district that's basically saying, okay, we got to do something different here. And I think we're going to see even folks that are full-time back at school say, you know what, one day a week, that might be an asynchronous day, right? Like, I don't know, that'll give teachers some time. That'll give students some time. I know it becomes a daycare issue, but maybe it's a 612 thing uh, where, you know, we're face to face four days a week and a fifth day is something else. Um, I don't know. Um, what do you hope comes out the other side of this? Will? Uh, a semester from now, a year from now, maybe not in your district, but what are you hoping changes in general? That's a, that's a good question. Um, right now, the hope is we just get back to normal as quickly as possible. Um, because we're rural and we have don't have a lot of infrastructure in place we don't have internet access for most of our kids um and we don't have the ability to um, um get the get the things we need to and we have uh we've been purchasing hotspots, but we can't keep up with the number of hotspots we need for the kids that are i mean it's every nightmare that you can imagine in in a third world country happens in a very large percentage of United States as well because uh, our infrastructure is so poor. Um, I would love to see uh, nationally that um, internet access becomes like electricity um, so that every everyone has a, a, a better opportunity. I mean, to be fair, I've had students that didn't have electricity too, so even that's not perfect. Um, I think that um, if, if we can look at education instead of seeing it as a commodity, as a human right, I think the change in um, perspective has to come in that direction before we see any real change otherwise. Um, 
the reality is school is something that everybody's for the most part has attended. Most of them has survived. Most of them have made it through intact. And it's very difficult for the majority of people to see school as a place that needs to change to be better when it was good enough for them. And um, we as educators see the holes. Um, parents who are in places where there are holes see the holes. But um, the political power that we have is so small um, that even a, a pandemic which puts us all out of school and focuses attention on education is not going to be enough to make systemic long-term changes. As soon as, the, um, as soon as the population had an opportunity to turn on public education, they did. And um, I, think, I, think that's you know, I think that's just a, a system challenge that um, has to change uh, and the perspective has to change before we see any real change inside. I mean, you're, you're um, in, in, the, in the larger cities, you have opportunities to change things at a district level that are much easier than it is for us to change them. Uh, we have a huge transportation issue. We have a huge nutrition issue. Um, we have a huge poverty issue. And these are all things that have to be addressed before we can even start thinking about changing how school is done. Um, one of the major reasons we're back in school five days a week is because if we aren't, um, there are many kids that will be eating much less food. Um, we were providing food um, on bus routes over the summer for all but about a month and a half um, with volunteers because there was no money to pay people to do that. Um, and we're using, of course, uh, federal funds to, to pay for the food. This is not tenable, this is not sustainable. And um, there's way too many societal issues at play before we're gonna see, we're gonna see really, at least in my area, we're, before we see any real change. Um, some districts can change and be very successful at it and, and meet the needs of the, the students in their areas, but it's not gonna be something that's gonna go system-wide, it's just not. Yeah, I know when you and I talk, I mean, I, it, I, you always help me with that perspective that um, so much of our country uh, is dealing with a rural poverty situation um, and how different that is from urban poverty. Um, there's similarities, but there's a lot of differences. And it makes thinking about uh, systemic change when there's no resources even close, right? Like if you're in an urban area, even if you're in a poor school district, you're three or four miles from a place that has more affluence. One of the things I am noticing and hearing is that parents in this virtual environment, not, not back to kind of face-to-face -face pandemic, but in this virtual, are, are a little bit more appreciative of what it takes to teach on a weekly basis, are a little more appreciative of the work that is being asked of teachers because they're looking over the shoulders of students and saying, oh my goodness, the teacher had to do this and oh my goodness, I could never do that. And they're getting a little bit of a lens into a classroom. It's not the same as being there physically, but I am hearing more and more parents start to say like, man, th this is, that's tough work. And I, I hope that they, that can't hurt to have more cheerleaders uh, recognizing that modern teaching and learning is a really, really complex thing. I, I don't think it's, 
an understatement to say that's a privilege to have parents that are able to be there for their kids when they're doing the work. Um, that's a privilege that a huge percent of the population don't have. Um, we have parents that are working second shift, third shift, single parents, um, blended families, children taking care of children. Um, if they're not in school, they can't focus on, on school if they're outside of, if they're outside of the school um, grounds. The parents um, either are um, undereducated um, or um, overworked and um, unable to, to uh, provide the support that the kids need at home. Yeah. It's, and it, it's a completely different, uh, one of the things that, I, that I, I always think about is the difference in culture between um, the schools in my area and when I go up to St. Louis and go to workshops and things, um, when I talk to teachers that are up there, the difference in the school culture, uh, the difference in the, in, in the education culture um, education at, in my area um, is more of a um, social program. It's free health care, it's free dental care, it's um, free babysitting, um, and it's hope that the children can get enough of an education that they can improve their, uh, their lot in life long term. And um, I think there are a lot of educators that are not in those situations and they don't understand that. And it really is different than um, ur urban poverty in a lot of ways. Um, there isn't for a lot of reasons, but um, the main reason is we can't travel 10 minutes away and see, see the other side. Um, we're, um, we have, we have, we're an hour away from Joplin and an hour away from Fayetteville. And uh, those aren't exactly huge metropolitan areas. Right. So um, yeah. the, expecta the expectation is just not there in the same way. The, the lifestyle is not there. The, the culture is not there the same way. And then you add our population of immigra immigrants where we have, uh, we're running around 60% Hispanic in my school, I think. You know, we have students from 11 or 12 countries right now. Um, and this is something that's changed dramatically in the last 30 years. When I went, I went to school in the school I teach, um, we had one um, Native American family. That was, that was our diversity. That, right? Right. that was our diversity. Um, yeah. And so it, the, the change in our, just, just in our town has been huge in the last 30 years. Uh, we, we, how do you catch up? I mean, it's great for, it's great for us in a lot of ways. Um, I believe that um, our community is better for it, but it's also been a struggle, so. Yeah, thoughts there, Amy. I was gonna, I'm also gonna ask you, and you can comment on that, or uh, I'm, I'm a little intrigued by how, how do we prepare new teachers for this environment that's so uncertain to be both hybrid teachers and virtual teachers and face-to-face -face teachers I'm assuming right now colleges of education are scrambling, right? To try to rethink how to teach and how to prepare teachers if it's going to be a very different model going forward. Or maybe they aren't. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I think it depends. So I've, I've trained teachers at UMSL, at Fompon, and at Lindenwood now. And um, 
but they all, the pre-service programs are all remarkably similar. And uh, one of the things that's been, so it's been simultaneously exhilarating and nails on the chalkboard frustrating that I've been screaming about these online tools for at least 10 years, a significant part of my job. And it just kind of falls on, it just, it, it never, it never really pans out. But in 10 years, I never got as far as I saw these teachers go in 10 weeks of we have to figure this out. Now. <laughs> and that's, that's great. I don't care how we get there. You know, if, if I couldn't get you there, if emergencies get you there, I don't care. As long as you understand it, that's great. Um, I think that it's, we're, we're having a different conversation now with a lot of that. So I teach mostly graduates, it's uh, masters and PhD level students. And so they're already, they're all, they're all trained uh, in the classes that I teach, whether they like it or not, in this stuff, because I make them do it. Uh, because these tools are too, and I, I finished my doctorate in 2012 and I thought briefly about going back uh, to the classroom, but at the time there were only three districts in the St. Louis area that had one-to-one -one and a functioning learning management system. And I had, I just, I just knew too much at that point that I was like, if you guys don't have those two things, I cannot effectively teach 130 kids. I just can't, I can't. I, I, I knew how much worse I would be without those things available any longer. And so that really drove me. Every class that I taught, even at the lower level, I would, you know, constantly talk to other people, you know, running programs about it. It's telling to me that after this started, I started getting calls from my colleagues, the people who run field placement and everything like, what do you know about this? Like, we need to teach our students. I'm like, yes, you do. <laughs> and it's not, it doesn't have anything to do with online learning. It's um, these tools and the, the data that can come from a really great system that is used broadly. Um, it can tell you almost anything. I, the third year that I was teaching online, and admittedly, like everything, you know, these, these kids were taking, you know, everything online, or they were taking classes that, you know, to um, Will's point, that when you're in a, a really room, yeah, other students that we got were students who really wanted to take an AP class. The school just didn't have the resources for it. Um, and that we, we find that in small urban districts like ours as well. We just don't have you know, we just don't have the staffing for that. So that was an opportunity, you know, for those kids. But um, when we, we looked, sifted through that data, I, the second or third year, we started, we realized that we could identify um, a specific, I don't wanna say it's an algorithm, but it, it was a specific approach to all of our data. We could find out which kids were homeless that's how good that data is. It, it will tell you almost anything that you want to know, but you got to use the system. And I tell my students, like, it doesn't, this isn't an online thing. This is a, I'm going to collect everything here so that I understand genuinely and deeply what's happening, not what I think is happening, because what is happening may, may not be true. I have a I have, I have a confirmation bias, just like everybody else does. And so I have to look at data and it, it's, it's humbling and it tells you working and what's not in, in very, very honest terms, you know, when you know how to use it. And those things are, those are valuable no matter what grade level you teach, no matter, you know, if you're, if you're doing this face-to-face, -face, um, definitely more applicable for later grades than the littles. Uh, the little ones just, 
they need to get in there and get their hands dirty and play around and you know it just it, it's just appropriate for them so i i get you know why they're <laughs> why they're frustrated with this model yeah but certainly different than there's a difference between collecting data and having good information and i think yeah. what you're saying is when you can have good information you can make better decisions yeah. um um, and, you know, but we see a lot of just data collection for data collection's sake and it becomes a, you know, whether that's for teacher evaluation or that's for grades to your school, whatever, all that stuff that's not informing learning and teaching, um, that becomes really difficult. One of the things that I'm wondering about um, is student stamina um, around whatever is going on, right? If it's just it's tough at home right now and coming to school is harder than ever or if it's I'm at home and how much longer can I last being a virtual student because I'm getting ready to go out of my mind sitting and staring at the screen all day. Um, what are you guys hearing anecdotally or seeing uh, from kids? Where are they social emotionally? Is the stress level higher? Uh, is it better? Um, I, I, I'm worried about my two daughters, right? Like when do, when do they finally get over the novelty of like doing computer stuff all day? Uh, I think it's coming sooner rather than later. Whoever wants to go at that one first. I'd love to talk about it, but um, we're face to face and um, the only, we have, we've had a few kids that have chosen to be uh, online only. Um, several of them have come back because um, it's not working out for them. And uh, from what I hear, a lot of the ones that are doing online learning are not socially distanced anyway. Um, mm -hmm. They're using it, uh, a lot of them are using this as an opportunity to do online learning so that they don't have to go to school as opposed to um, in lieu of the um, uh, pandemic as far as their behavior change and stuff like that. So, um, which is, which is perfectly fine with me. I think it's an awesome uh, thing that they have that, that they have that ability to do that if they wish. Um, but I don't think it's uh, a lot of them that I think really w wanted to try it is realizing that it's probably not exactly what they were thinking it was going to be. Um, I teach junior high, so we're talking a hugely social age, and um, um, what you'll have a few that are pulled because their parents are uh, afraid they're getting bullied or, or being treated poorly by the staff or whatever. But for the most part, it's, um, they want to be back with their friends at school. You know, you also, your wife's a teacher and you've got a lot of other folks learning in your house right now, I assume still, uh, how are things for them? Um, what are you, what are you, what are you hearing from them as a, their, how they're handling all of the way teaching's going and where they are with things? Well, uh, Daughter number three is in college. Uh, this is her first year as a freshman, and um, she's loving it. Uh, it's probably been the best experience for her, even during the COVID time. She's she's uh, in a band, and um, really thriving in that. She's she loves being in classes where people want to be in school and want to be in those classes. Um, it's that it's the when you. It's that thing where when you find out what you want to do, how much better school is than when you're taking what you have to take. Um, and uh, Diana, my wife, is doing her master's now, which is an absolute nightmare with all the stress that we have going on. Um, and, and it's weird, the stress that we have. Uh, this has been the most stressful year 
um, that I can remember teaching. And the stress is because a lot of it is because of the change. We're having to do so much differently. Um, and the expectations um, are less on student learning and they're more on student safety and not just physical safety, but emotional safety. Um, and so because the priorities changed um, and the expectations for the teachers have changed, um, it's, a, it's huge, that's a huge deal. Um, and if it wasn't for having Diana to talk to, and I would think for her to be able to talk to me about what's going on, um, that would be very difficult. I can only imagine what it's like if your spouse is a non-educator and doesn't understand doesn't understand the business to begin with, but then doesn't understand the change that's taken place. Um, so I can understand that that must be very difficult as well. We have we have a lot of uh, uh, new teachers. Uh, my my junior high team. Uh, we have three new teachers, um, four new teachers. So there's just like new to the profession. Well, um, no, but new to the building, new to the district. Um, so. Um, it's extremely, extremely stressful on them um, because of just, just all the, the general new, you know, how do you fit into the culture? Um, how, do, how do you fit in? Uh, and we have a, a new principal who was our vice principal last year, and we have a new vice principal who was a third grade teacher last year. But change is normal in my building. Um, I believe I'm on my 20th principal at this point <laughs> and yeah um this is my 27th year of teaching so i've had a lot of turnover that includes vice principals of course and um so change is normal um and change at the junior high level is normal with teachers um but um it's it's a perfect storm this year um uh, practically a whole new team practically a whole new administration um it's just super duper stressful this year. And, and it's not, and it's all kind of under the, under the currents kind of stress. It's not the overt stress. It's the every day it's there all the time kind of stress, you know, which we have anyway, because when you have to be observing and on for eight, nine hours a day, every day that wears on you, but there's even more because you're asked to do so, not even so much more, but so much different. Yeah, for sure. Amy, what are you hearing about teacher stress and student stress and uh, what are the realities of that? Yeah, I, um, I had a, uh, so I, I run a podcast too and I had a, uh, a guest on, uh, Michelle Benedict, who does sort of social emotional learning in the St. Louis area. And she relocated to Rolla um, down a little further south and she was talking about this. We, we had this conversation about a month in, you know, to it and um, the incredible, you know, stress and, um, and all of it. Um, but again, I think it, it really seems to coincide with everybody's worldview and, and how they're affected. That's most, most significant is how they're affected by the pandemic. Um, if they are they have health concerns. If they are, you know, in a family that is among the millions and millions and millions of American families who are struggling in paying their bills right now, they've had their hours reduced or they've lost their job or, you know, those are, it, it puts a cloud over everything, you know, over everything that you do. Um, 
how prepared and how comfortable you are in shifting when things don't work out. Um, the teachers that definitely do not like change at all are having a much harder time uh, adjusting to it. Um, the teachers that are kind of go with the flow, they're go with the flow most of the time, you know, and they're go with the flow too. I thought that would have worn out by now, um, but you know, it still seems to be going okay. So it just, it varies, <laughs> it just varies so significantly. But I don't see that as any different from any other industry. Uh, everybody I know in every industry, they're all struggling in how to, how to manage their professional obligations with their community obligations with their family. And um, it's a universal concern right now, which is depressing in some respects, but it's also encouraging because there are other, a lot of other people to talk to. Yeah, and I, I just want us not to have an exodus of teachers where they don't feel like I can't, do, I'm, this is exhausting. I'm a half an inch away every day of being completely fried and I, I can't do that. I can't see a horizon of doing this for 10 or 20 years. I'm really worried about that too. I have been just, I am, I'm not seeing it at the level they would have expected at this point, but I'm definitely fearful because you and I've had this conversation before where I, 2025 is like the cliff, you know, we know just demographically that the numbers of people going into the field just for population reasons alone, it's going to fall off uh, just nationwide. Um, and as you and I talked about it, it may not be as bad here um, because of, you know, various economic factors, but it just, the, the flat out numbers going in. And so when you look at it, and I'm sorry, I'm putting like my economics teacher hat on, but you, when you look at when this happens, you know, throughout history, uh, you, when you run into kind of critical labor shortage and you have a, a demoralized labor force and you have the opportunity for technology either outsourcing or automation outsourcing is not an option with teaching but automation certainly is um, so how how is that going to shift the dynamic around what it means to teach and learn in the 21st century and is that going to be a good thing for our kids or not and that's the thing that i really care about yeah, and I and I think that as a system we move slowly in education, which can be good, but oftentimes it isn't. And then you have a perfect storm, and then you have on top of that um, just the realities that something has to change or the system will break. Um, it, it leaves me not only worried that hey, we'll make it through this school year because people will work hard and figure out a way through, and kids will be okay. But it's the horizon on this that I think is the is the biggest worry that I have. Uh, one final question to wrap up um, on a on a higher note. Um, what's something that you're learning about right now um, that you're excited to be learning about? Hmm. Right, I stumped everybody. That wasn't the pre-approved list of questions. No, right? Like I, I went off script. I was like totally. Okay, I have to call my agent. What happened? <laughs> Maybe it's something you're reading. Maybe it's something you're, uh, but something you're learning about. Something you're interested in. Mm. Man, I didn't know I'd catch the hardest question there. I thought, man, with the ukulele, I thought it was just a nice bounce off of, and maybe we just don't have time for that. So, uh. it's. I think there's not a lot of headspace there. Um, I'm uh, the only the only thing I spend any time thinking about outside of school and stuff right now is 
trying to decide if I really want to go all Apple or if I need to keep my toes in with Android. Um, the new Apple Watch came out. It's got the O2 sensor and, and things like that. And the rumor is they're coming out with the, with the Apple glasses next year with the heads up display in your glasses, which I've been wanting forever. Um, and I'm still super excited about their privacy thing, even though I know it's a marketing gimmick and they don't really care. But, um, <laughs> and so uh, my wife has asthma and with COVID and uh, all that, we've decided to get her a, 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 one of the new watches so she can mo monitor her oxygen level. Um, and I've been ready to jump back into um, the Apple ecosystem full force because now they have widgets. And for some reason, widgets and notifications were the two things they didn't do well at all. And um, so I kind of decided I want to jump back in, but now they released the Pixel. And so I don't know. The problem is I'm never satisfied with the technology I have. I always want the next that's thing. a good problem though so i i do think that's an interesting piece but i i i think it's interesting um i i know where there's a lot of curious people on here so that's why i'm always interested to know what you're curious about and what you're learning about so that's intriguing all right i gave you enough time maybe that was all your wait time what do you got <laughs> well i took the summer off for the first time in 12 so i haven't had like a school year calendar in forever and uh so i Personal note, I started writing novels again, which was really fun and interesting. It's, it's so great being the novice in something. I've been, you know, advanced in your professional field for so long that, you know, it's, I think you're kind of like this too, Bob, and I'm sure a lot of teachers are, that it's so exhilarating to be like the dumbest person in the room because you have so much to learn and it's so exciting. And it gets really boring when you like know this stuff already. <laughs> so that's, that's been personally fun. But um, the, one of the things that's come out of, uh, so the neighborhood that he and I are in, uh, there's been a group that has formed out of just like two women, the Maple Good group, just um, as, as the pandemic, they just started a Facebook group and said, just what do you need? What does everybody need? We have an unusual number of healthcare workers, just given our geography. And uh, a lot of, we have a huge disparity in income. And so we've got a lot of people who are starting very, racially diverse population and we know it hits you know races at different points and um it that's a, been a fantastic group and one of the things that they're starting to do is try to help out with the kids that are learning at different tiers in the school system and uh so i think we're going to start like a cool 20 percent time project with any kids who are into it i've done this with my teachers for years which it, it just it's good because it gets them actually teaching so if you've done done this or heard of it 20 percent of the time genius salary it's called a million different things but the gist of it is that you spend a, a core part of your time just exploring a passion project it's exciting to, um you should be doing scary um a little outside of your comfort zone and we've got a really great network already built into the neighborhood where there are people who like i might have a kid who is fascinated by learning the guitar you know to your point that um and it's in this project so long i can t i when you were talking about that i can i totally understood you because they when they would try to learn an instrument on youtube it terry from them is it got me started it got me comfortable enough so that i didn't feel like a complete 
idiot when I went to a group or I went to an instructor where I actually just understood the basics and I didn't feel stupid going into that. And so it built us enough confidence, but it was never enough to learn the whole instrument. And so uh, the idea that that's just in the last couple of days that has kind of generated some steam and that's always really interesting because it connects the kids to the things that they're really excited to learn with people in the community who have all of these hidden skills that, you know, we tend to see people as their roles. We don't know. I mean, no, no, nobody, nobody would know talking to me ever that I write novels. Nobody would ever know that um, because I just do it for fun and I never talk about it. But there are a million people who have crazy, you know, skills and hobbies and things like that, that would love to connect with kids. And I feel like that certainly from the public school level, it builds that sense of community so that when the district has to go and ask for more money, it's not such a big ask because everybody knows the kids and they know what what they're capable of and they're willing to invest in their future so that's the that's the thing that's been the most fun the last couple of days that's awesome i will let myself off the hook here i uh i mean pre-learning i want to write an album so i don't know what that'll look like but i want to produce a music album um, that has some lyric. I may have, I may not, I may just write the lyrics and uh, approve of the music, but uh, at some point in time, I, it will be uh, something that I've wanted to do. So uh, I'm trying to figure out the best way to take a one step forward around that project. So I won't let myself off the hook there. So what, what oh. instrument do you, what do you play instruments or do you sing or? Not yet, no, no, none of the no, above. Not but not. It's not going to stop me from producing the album. So no. um, you know what? I might have a band where all I do is write the songs. I'm the songwriter for the album. So I don't know, but like, I want to be able to say that like that music generated for me at the beginning. So I don't know. That's my latest, uh, who knows what'll happen. So. Anyway, thank We've you all. We've never been at a better time for stuff like that. You're going to have a great time. Yes, so I appreciate you guys. Thanks for being here. Uh, it's always good. All right. Thanks for listening to the Help Me Understand podcast. For more about my work, you can head over to drrobertdillon.com or follow me on Twitter, Facebook, or LinkedIn. Don't forget to rate this podcast as it helps alert others to the great conversations and ideas happening in this space. Until next time, this is Dr. Robert Dillon reminding you that an intentional life is filled with awe, curiosity, and joy.